Digital Marketer. Today, it's Rita Barry. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Snavely, and today I get to share a wonderful conversation I had with Rita Barry, founder of Rita Barry & Co., a boutique digital marketing agency. She's all about making data-driven decisions with a relationship-based approach. And whether you want to nerd out a little bit on the metric side of things or dig into how to make everything you do just a little more human, I think you'll like this one. Here it is. Now I can place your accent. Yes. <laughs> you revealed the secret. Did I? What part of Canada are you in? I live just outside of Banff National Park. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, so like, I've heard it. It's so gorgeous. It is. It is almost disgustingly gorgeous. Well, let's let's talk business. Both business women. Give me a brief overview of Rita Berry and Co. What do y'all do? What it's all about? Who are you serving? Tell me, tell me all of it. All the things. Yeah. <laughs> well, we serve primarily, well, really only female entrepreneurs. So we are a female run company and that's who we serve as well. It's mostly coaches, course creators, membership site owners who happen to be coaches. And we focus primarily on marketing measurement and Facebook ads that are heavily driven by metrics and data. And hmm. a little bit different than everyone's like, well, aren't Facebook ads data? Like there's a lot of data inherent in that, but we really look at the full picture of the marketing funnel since Facebook ads and running paid traffic, you know, the platform itself is only one small part of how you make that profitable. So we really use a lot of our marketing and measurement expertise, you know, to kind of dovetail with the Facebook ads to hopefully make them kind of infinitely more effective than if we were just paying attention to the platform. It's kind of that's our secret sauce as far as uh, kind of differentiation, value proposition sort of thing for a Facebook ad agency. Yeah, I think it can be really easy to run ads and think data and not really have have a full picture. But what I find really interesting about you is I know you started in web design. It's very different yes. from numbers. So how did that happen? Tell me a bit. About so that. well, web design, funny enough, web design was kind of the departure. So that was yeah. the thing that was different for me. I went to university for calculus and microbiology. What? Yes. I know. Oh, All cool things. Super fun. <laughs> and back when I was going to high school, it was like, that was where my natural aptitude always was. And it was just a time in the country where they were putting a lot of emphasis on women and girls in high school with the STEM subjects, because that was kind of becoming something that was very on vogue that people wanted to pay attention to. And, mm -hmm. and it just, kind of really came easily. So that was the thing that I just went into school for because that's where the scholarships were for me. And that was just where a lot of the attention was. So it wasn't necessarily a conscious choice as it was a, well, I'm good at this. I guess I'll keep doing it. And I do, I do really enjoy it, but there's so many other aspects. I think that I didn't, I didn't know I really would miss if I was just like a hundred percent science data all that time, all the time. Right. And when I got into web design about 11 years ago, it was mostly from the development side. Like I was able to open up the back end of a website and JavaScript just made sense to me, you know, and it just <laughs> it sounds like you, honestly. <laughs> right. Because with, with calculus and math and all of the different types of things you that's very similar, right? There's a lot of programming crossover and things like that. So that's how I got into that part of it. And and then the web design for me 
was never about making fancy art projects for people. It was about how do I build a site that will make their business run better than it did before I started. And data and measurement was always part of that. And it slowly became more and more important where I realized this is my differentiator, right? In my business is being able Mm -hmm. to prove that this design is better instead of just saying, look how nice it is. Like I was not the the person to come to for the really extensive branding, style guides, all that kind of stuff. It was, I was the person who would come to for making sure your landing pages, your sales pages, everything was really efficient and a lot of conversion rate optimization built in and that sort of stuff. And then the website design just kind of faded away about five years ago where I was doing Mm -hmm. less and less of it and people were coming to us for the metrics. They're like, I don't need a web design, but I I just had one done, right? I need (laughs) this part and I hear that you do that. And, And so then it just, you know, as businesses evolve where you start to notice that, oh, maybe this is like a thing. I don't, can I get paid to just do this? Like, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> and, and we had been doing Facebook ads for a lot of our clients as well. And then, yeah, five years ago, you know, maybe, maybe I should like let this part go and just really focus on those other two areas. And that's what we did. And then that's kind of when everything took off, because as we all know, the more niche you are and the more known you are for one specific thing, the easier it is to grow the business. Mm-hmm. And that's really when everything took off. Yeah. So Having a really like measurement based business, I mean, what do you find people are getting wrong when it comes to that? Like, what are you having to coach people through? Oh, so many things. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like from the ads perspective, I mean, often people are just looking at the wrong metrics a lot of times because they don't even Mm -hmm. know, you know, what to look at. A lot of clients that we meet with on discovery calls would maybe be running in-house ads. You know, they'll have usually small teams like 10 and under, but there's somebody who has a level of proficiency with the ad platform and they'll be running it in-house and they realize when they're trying to scale, they just, they don't know how to do that because it's not a skill set the person has. They don't know what numbers to look at. And kind of how we had talked a little bit before about the, the success to any kind of marketing campaign, any kind of paid traffic campaign is so much more than just the platform. You know, and everyone gets really often hyper-focused on, is this a good ad? And time and time again, you know, it's unfortunate to say as a Facebook advertiser, but, you know, the, the ad is only so important because if you don't have the right offer to the right person at the right time, I don't care how fancy the ad is or how whatever, like it's not going to do the job just as much as a mediocre ad can do amazing things if it's the right offer to the right people at the right time. You know, like Mm -hmm. looking at the wrong kind of metrics, essentially, and putting all their eggs in one basket and just not knowing how to evaluate big picture metrics versus kind of deep dive metrics. So if someone, if one of your clients was coming to you with like, here's this ad we did, it's not working. What steps would you take them through just starting from the first, the first thing you would look at with them? So the first thing when we're evaluating a campaign is always like, what is the primary metric for this campaign? And often people go straight for the weed metrics, (laughs) they call them, right? All of the diagnostic metrics, rather than Mm. knowing what is that primary metric. And depending on the kind of campaign, depending on the kind of business you run, it might be return on ad spend. It might be cost per acquisition, which it is for a lot of our clients because we don't do a lot of traditional e-com type work. Most of ours are like the course creators who have lead gen offers and evergreen funnels and that sort of thing. And without knowing that number, 
that's usually where people fall down. It's like we're, they're trying to optimize for cost per lead or they're trying to optimize for click-through rate, but they don't even know what big number they're aiming for. And hmm. you optimize different things based on what big number you're shooting for, right? And without right. knowing that ultimate goal, it's really hard to, to even know where to begin. So we always start with that. And, and sometimes that's often where the marketing measurement comes in because people don't have an idea. Like it's, it is not uncommon for people with seven figure businesses to not really have a very defined view of all of their marketing measurement, like all of their data really, really mm-hmm. clearly defined to know conversion rates through funnels, lifetime value of customer, all that kind of stuff sometimes is really fuzzy for them. And that makes mm-hmm. it really, really hard to create really successful ad campaigns because we're missing all of this data that informs how we would do it. So that's mm-hmm. always the biggest place is getting a very clear view of their, like whatever marketing piece, whether it's a discrete funnel or whether it's the whole system to know how is this actually working? Because until we know how it's actually working, it's really hard to forecast and it's really hard to reverse engineer goals, you know, and daily spend and all that stuff without those big picture metrics firmly in view. Yeah. So going to the cost per acquisition element, I know you've said before that it's kind of the secret to getting ROI from your Facebook ads. Why, why do you believe that? So, well, I think the biggest thing that I noticed with clients is they would come in with a ROAS target, like with that ROI saying, I want two times the return on ad spend or, you know, whatever kind of, sometimes it was an arbitrary number. Sometimes it was like they'd read an industry average you know, or Hmm. so-and-so told them that this is what they should be expecting. And so many of my clients are the, those lead gen folks that are into funnels that are kind of the higher ticket price points who have more complex business models where there's front end offers, core offers, upsells, really expensive, high ticket masterminds. They have a lifetime value of a customer that is profoundly different than that front end offer that they're selling. And by getting Um. hung up, on ROAS, where it's like, I need, I need two times my money back off this front end offer. They're really limiting their ability to scale and grow because they just don't have this full understanding of the whole picture. And that's really where we have, I think had the most fun and therefore kind of the most success. And that's kind of the clients we're attracting now are the female entrepreneurs that are really interested in rapid scale because Mm -hmm. different way that you create campaigns when you're wanting to spend like $20,000 a day on a Facebook campaign for acquisition, than it is how you would build something for $100 a day. Like there's just kind of different things to keep in mind. And yeah, so that's kind of what we help them understand is that, you know, it kind of goes back to the, the beginning of the Ryan Dice, like the more money you can spend on a customer, right? Those people win. And, and it's, that's something that we really help folks understand when they're really hung up on one particular number for a certain, you know, maybe not, like grounded in fact reason, but we all get those little things right stuck in our head and help them see how if we find a defined CPA that helps them be profitable and is really grounded in data based on their knowledge of their lifetime value of their customer, how we can spend so much more to acquire customers, they can grow so much faster, we can test a lot more. And all of a sudden they can look up a couple months later and going, oh my gosh, like I was stepping over $100 bills to pick up pennies, right? Like, because they were so concerned about, I want to have my cost per lead, be it, you know, $2 and 50 cents. And if it's $2 and 51 cents, stop the whole thing versus like, we're losing the big picture here. 
right? Because cost per lead is almost irrelevant if we're working toward a CPA that actually, you know, makes sense. It's not, it's not CPL for me with a lot of my clients is a deep dive metric. It's not the North Star. It's not the main primary uh, CPA or KPI that we're looking for. So if I were to like process this in my own brain, which is brilliant, but not very mathy. <laughs> like what, I, what I'm kind of getting is that if you're focusing on ROAS, return on ad spend, it's kind of like, I would guess you would want to do it when you're kind of starting out so that you are getting money back to reinvest into your business. And then as you begin to grow and things get more complicated and you're changing offers and stuff, then the cost per acquisition is more like what's fueling your business. I would say like for the lead gen folks, because the e-commerce folks will be like scream from the roof because they're like, ROAS is the thing, right? Because it is when you're, Hmm. when you're optimizing direct for purchase, ROAS and CPA are really just two ways of looking at the same, the same metric, right? And the fact that so many of the people that we're supporting have the membership sites, they've got all of these things where their lifetime value is so different than that initial cost per acquisition. They're not usually one product businesses. And, and that way we can help them scale because it's true. Like being, having money to reinvest is really important. And, you know, being able to test something and get money back right away when you're dealing with smaller dollar values of ad spend is definitely possible, you know, but it's always that we're working toward this goal of, you know, this is the profitability number for the CPA based on all of their business, right? How delivering the product, staffing costs, customer service, all that sort of stuff. And, and they're comfortable spending that much to acquire a customer. And then it lets us have a lot of kind of freedom on the platform to test and see what's working and try to try out a lot of different things for them. So we can get these campaigns that can spend an awful lot of money each day. So as an agency, and with the changes in the economy recently, what are you seeing in your clients' businesses and how can people kind of not take advantage, but, you know, not have their businesses crash and burn? And, <laughs> That's a nice thing to and, have happen, right? <laughs> yeah. It is. Unfortunately, I mean, and for no other reason, just kind of, you know, the dumb luck of it is that we support folks in the online space that have always been in the online space and a lot of work with a lot of the coaching and consultant, but a lot in the education field. Like we have a homeschool client who's doing better than she's ever done. Cause obviously, you know, certain things like that. (laughs) And, but even, you know, people that are in special ed and just different ways of serving, you know, like they've had to adapt and pivot a little bit for this time, but we've been really fortunate that our clients have also been really fortunate and just been in the right space. But some of what, what we've seen on the platform is kind of the, the well-documented, like we have not seen prices like this in. Yeah. Since like 2015 or something. <laughs> it's like since Facebook was like, we're going to do ads, you know, like that was kind yeah. of the moment. So there's, there's definitely been a lot of like 10 cent lead, two cent lead, a dollar lead to webinars to cold traffic, like ridiculous prices. So what we've been doing with a lot of clients and just kind of advising friends and colleagues is like, it's a great time to test right now because you can try out new Mm -hmm. offers, try out new audiences, just because it's the the threshold is lower right now. And, you know, and if you don't have a winner on your hands right away, at least you're not putting as much money into it as you used to be. And, And we're still seeing tons of sales activity, like, this has been some record couple of months for a number of clients. And I can't think of anyone that is really, you know, not doing as well. Like there's been some kind of idiosyncrasies around obviously having some 
not being tone deaf with messaging. Like we had a couple of clients have launches in March that were really stressful because none of us knew how that was going to go. Right. And when you're looking at a huge percentage of your yearly income happening (laughs) during the, during that, that's really scary part where there was like new terrifying things every day that were happening. Mm. It, It was a really, really uncertain time, but they all did fine. Like it was, nothing was terrible. And I mean, but it's so different. I have colleagues in the ad space who work with brick and mortar, and obviously that's not the case for them. So it's, uh, it really just depends on, on what vertical you're in at this point too. Yeah. I'd love to know a little bit more, just digging into the why behind your focus on female entrepreneurs and, and just kind of your beliefs there. So, well, well, I think we all just need to have a little bit more money. Like it really comes down to that, but more so than that, there's a reason. You hear that world, (laughs) give it to me. I think there's a reason for that, that like, there's a reason that I believe that. And it's, it comes down to like family of origin and all that good stuff. But my mom was always Mm -hmm. really entrepreneurial in kind of the eighties and nineties when there just wasn't, you know, the, the tools and the technology that there are today. And she was a single mom. Like we were, we lived in, in, not like ridiculous levels of poverty. It was kind of like we always had stuff to eat, but it was like we had like a foreclosure on the house plan when all our friends had mm-hmm. like fire escape plans. <laughs> we were like, we knew what to do <laughs> if we came home and there was like a big sticker on the door that says you don't live here anymore. Wow. And and so there was always a knowledge that kind of money, money was a thing, like a big thing mm-hmm. that was always present in the household. And and seeing her struggle with trying to find a thing to do and always reverting back to kind of the minimum wage type situations that or it was always like network marketing things, right? Like you could be the Avon lady or stuff like that. And right. and seeing her struggle through that. And as I got older and started working with other entrepreneurs, I just found that I connected with the mission of female entrepreneurs a lot more. But that found that they they spent the money they made differently and not always altruistically too, because I'm not one of those folks that says, make a million dollars and how much you're giving to charity. I'm like, you do whatever the heck you want to do with it. And if that's like, yeah, enjoy your jet skis. (laughs) If you want to have some private jet problems, you go ahead and have private jet problems. (laughs) I'm not really concerned about like kind of putting a judgment on how people spend it. I just, I've noticed that people spend it differently, you know, and that Mm -hmm. when a female entrepreneur had a lot of wealth and success, the community, like the community around her, like she was paying her employees differently. She was thinking about her employees differently. She was impacting her community in a different way. And it just became something that I was really passionate to be a part of. And Mm -hmm. and it just, it just always was a really good fit because we're highly relational, even in the data-driven nature of myself and therefore the business. We're still, yeah, we still talk a lot. We still discuss mindset. You know, I had a client who was having a meltdown because she was like making too much money. Like <laughs> sound really absurd to some people, but it's it gets you into that like, do I deserve this? And who am I right. this much money? And all right. of those sorts of things. And I love that as an agency and as a business owner, that when we're having strategy calls about Facebook ads and scaling, that we can also talk about that stuff. And that doesn't have a place in every agency because it's not a good fit. But the clients that we bring on and who we are and who I am as a person, it's the most natural fit there is. So it's kind of mm-hmm. kind of growing into that and realizing that what always seemed like a liability was that I cared way too much about individual people <laughs> became one of our greatest strengths for keeping clients for like we've never lost an ad client like ever. 
That's incredible. And, and it's because, I mean, we give a lot of grace for errors if, you know, something happens or if a campaign doesn't work like we thought it was going to work because they always know we have their back. We're so enthusiastic about their business and the vast majority of the mm-hmm. time, everything's fine. But, you know, some stuff always happens, right? Like there's nobody's perfect all the time and I would never claim to be. So it's, it's pretty cool that there's some really long-term amazing relationships that we've developed. That is pretty cool. And I think it's so comforting to hear that there are, there are people stressing out about not feeling like they deserve their success as much as there are people concerned about starting because they don't deserve to start. You know what I mean? I, I feel like you hear a lot about the people who are saying, oh, I shouldn't be this person, you know, teaching this. I don't. Who am yes, I? Yes. Who am I? The imposter um, complex all over the place and the self-doubt. And it's like if you're mm-hmm. a couple steps ahead of people, you know, I think it's a fine line between the, you know, being a fraud, quote unquote, where you legit have no business <laughs> teaching what you're teaching. Because yeah. <laughs> there are those people, you know, and we all we all see them get outed on the Internet every so often. But then there's also the other folks who really do have a level of expertise and knowledge and experience that can be extremely helpful to other people. And when you have to take that step out and kind of you decide you're going to start your own business, there's so much failure and shame and embarrassment that's inherent in doing it that is not on the job description of entrepreneurship. It's like, make make your own hours, have as much money as you want, do all these own things. And it doesn't say, and it's subject to extreme embarrassment, shame, failure rapidly. You have to be okay with it. It's part of the deal. And, and I find that mm. women, especially that I've had contact with, had struggled so much with that. And it blocks them from, we've had clients that have been on the edge of some pretty remarkable success that you can just see them being so uncomfortable with it because who are they to have mm-hmm. it that they pull themselves back? Like they don't blow their business up, but they definitely kind of, you can just see it in kind of some of their activities and procrastination starts to sneak in and maybe they don't get stuff back to you as fast as they, as they once did because it is so uncomfortable. And I just, mm-hmm. I love that that can be part of the conversation and it isn't the co- part of the conversation necessarily for everybody. You know, it might not necessarily be a concern for all people, but it definitely, definitely is, shows up an awful lot in the work we do with our clients too. It's also a different world in which you, with, with social media and social advertising platforms, you, you become more of a public figure than ever, especially if you're doing something that's membership related or like expertise related, and you have to put yourself out there and constantly be putting yourself out there and constantly be talking to people who have opinions about you and who have opinions about the things you've said or what you've done. And I I can imagine it can start to feel like a lot. I think so. Like there's kind of a general uh, consensus in my family where my husband will always laugh. He said, if you ever become internet famous, I realize we're living in a cabin in the woods. He's like, I appreciate that that's going to happen. And because I don't market, we've never really actively marketed because that's a problem like I have personally is I have no interest in having all of this attention. Like I am definitely the person that Mm -hmm. is behind the scenes, happily so doing what I do, right? Yeah. And I, I find mm-hmm. great joy in the pursuit of the mastery, you know, and in the learning and the how can I get better at this and, you know, learning something new. That is where the joy is for me. It's not in like the arrival at a specific thing. And being kind of well-known and kind of a personality type brand would be mortifying. 
And, and that's what mm-hmm. I see my clients navigating, right? Where I'm like, I feel you yeah. every moment of every day. That looks really hard. And some of them <laughs> love it. Like they have put some pretty significant boundaries around themselves. A lot of them are not on social media at all. They like, they're the face of the brand for sure, but it's in very defined ways and they have their teams mm-hmm. are managing their social for them. And like, they don't have the apps on their phone. Like they do not have any interest in seeing any of it. Not wanting to watch your own. Exactly. <laughs> no interest in watching myself talk. <laughs> Absolutely. And well, it's one of like the most revolutionary things for people is when you like, you don't have to answer your own Facebook comments. In fact, if you don't like doing that, because I have like a couple of clients who totally geek out on answering their own Facebook comments is like, let customer service handle that. I'm like, that is not always the nicest place to hang out. And, and it can totally derail you and you really have to protect your mind when you're doing this, you know, and, and there's so many different places that are coming at you trying to get into your mind that it's really important to, to put those walls up if you need them, because, you know, depending on your level of sensitivity, you really have to be self-aware enough to know kind of what's too much so that you can guard your energy and do what you do best. That's such a good point. So I kind of want to hear about a favorite story you have maybe of a client who experienced growth just from you looking deeper into their data. Do you have any good examples? Oh, that yeah. We have some mind? really good case studies that are on the website that I think probably kind of detail if people are like super geeky as far as like digging into the numbers. <laughs> You're talking yes. about the right. <laughs> exactly. That's I'm like, that's the <laughs> nice thing where there's a lot of numbers there, but like little ones, like we had a client who bought her car outright for the first time, like had never like walked in and wrote a check and left with a vehicle. And like that one for me was super cool. Cause like she sent me a picture like with the day she bought it and she's like, thank you for being a part of this. And it's like such a small thing in the grand scheme of things, but it was so cool. Like, and she was, she was the same one who was like going to renovate her kitchen. And then because her business had grown so much, they just bought a whole new house. Like, I'm like, yes, like that is like, she has changed her entire family because of what she has created and the community that she supports Mm -hmm. by paying wages and having employees and all that kind of stuff. So there's like really young people who have really gotten to entrepreneurship that, you know, went from just kind of having goals of like, you know what, I just would like to maybe make $10,000 a month to having thousands of people in a membership site, being able to leave their traditional employment and uh, work for themselves completely. People buying houses, like just not necessarily to just accumulate the materials, but because they were able to use their mind to create this business and it turned into something really tangible in the world that was often not Mm -hmm. something that they thought was initially possible. And I think that's the stuff that I always get the biggest kick out of is when someone has that limiting belief around, like the client I was mentioning, who was like, she's having a moment with, you know, she had goal X. We measured all of her data, what all the funnels were, I'm like, you know, I think you could probably shoot for a lot more than two sales a day. Like it's definitely a high ticket offer. Most of the people we support are like 2000 to 20,000 as far as what their offer scale is that helps for context. And, you know, she's like, I would be really happy with like two sales a day. And it's like, could we do maybe do like four, five, six, like, would that be comfortable? (laughs) And just like those moments of, I didn't even think that was possible. But when you put the numbers in front of people mm-hmm. and you're showing them that they're converting cold traffic at 6% to this, you know, multiple thousand dollar offer, it blows their mind. 
because we always, mm. you know, run around thinking our business is broken or something's wrong, or I need to fiddle one more time with that, you know, sales page. And when they see the data so clearly that you say, this is what it's doing. We just need to add more to the top end. Now you've done the hard work of making this thing mm. functional and it's the right offer and it's the right messaging and all those things. Like you've done the hard work. Let us take that off your plate and just get more people in the top for you because we know it's working. And, and that's just always the coolest experience for them to realize that it can be so much easier because so many of my clients default to, if it's not hard, I must be doing something wrong. And, and mm-hmm. just to be able to kind of take it off their plate and go, you know what, actually the hard work is done. That's the joy of some of these business models, right? <laughs> the hard work's up front and, yeah. and then the rest of it is just getting the traffic in so that people can actually take advantage mm-hmm. of what you've built for them. So moving, moving into kind of more talking about the, the life of an agency and an agency owner, you know, you've been in business for 10 years now, which is like incredible. <laughs> I don't think I've done anything. This is the only years. thing I've done for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> except, I don't know, except maybe eat like frozen pizza once a week. Yeah, I can maintain that. Years. I yeah. can probably say I've done that. I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for, for someone interested and, and passionate about helping other business owners, maybe they, they feel it's not measurement for them, but you know, the vision that they, they want to help. Where, where would someone start out with being a consultant or agency? The, the thing that has really been our secret sauce has really been the client care, customer service and relationship building. It's all the soft skills, right? Like it's so funny where everyone wants to teach you the, like, how do you get leads? How do you, you know, do this? How, and none of that truly has mattered as much as the fact that we show up every day we answer emails and messages like we're other humans. Like we don't ignore our clients. Like the amount of times that I hear of other freelancers, service providers and things that aren't following up. They're like, we wouldn't hear people for like a week, mm-hmm. you know? And, and obviously there's a million agencies that do an amazing job. But I also think if you're starting out, the positive part is that the barrier is often really low, you know, as far as like, just answer your emails, be a great person do your best. Don't, you know, forget to do whatever, like really kind of manage your stuff. And if you can manage the client relationship, manage expectations, provide a great service and be a great person, the the growth that comes from that, I think is often really understated and ignored. Like the amount of referrals, word of mouth that we get like we can't serve the amount of clients that want to come work with us now. And it's not like, cause we have a really small roster. Like we only have 15 clients that that's it. But because of how we do what we do, we charge more, which allows us to maintain mm-hmm. what we do with a small amount of clients and still have well-paid team members and well-paid me and all of that stuff. And the clients are not upset about it because the level of service that they get, they feel is an excellent, like beyond the value they get for what it is that they're paying. And I think we just, we feel like it needs to be the technical service needs to be the thing. And so often Mm -hmm. just the humanity is missing out of it. And we're all people like whether we're, you know, a hard driving CEO or whether we're like, we're still all people and we still all have certain ways that we Mm -hmm. like to relate to people. And, and that's, that has been it for us, you know, showing up 
talking to a lot of people and, and just, and not with an agenda either. I think that's always the, I just talked to a lot of people, made a lot of connections that I wasn't really focused on this better go here. Like I am at this, I'm at right. this event to meet this person, to get this result. It's more like, I'm just going to hang out with people that I really enjoy that I think are cool. And we'll see what happens in the grand scheme of life. And it's turned into a, like a wildly successful agency that I couldn't have imagined 10 years ago. And mm-hmm. that's super cool. I no growth hacking here, slow, steady, being a nice human. Oh, <laughs> for someone who majored in calculus, <laughs> that is incredibly human. Well, and honestly, and that's why I think that science, completely science was just never really meeting a need that was like the other half of mm-hmm. my brain, because it's, it's so yeah. cool to get to bring science and math and the math of someone's business to them in a way that is very human. And that is very simple. Mm-hmm. And that's probably like the feedback we get from the clients in testimonials and case studies the most is that I didn't realize as a, not a math person and someone who's maybe inherently scared of math, because we have a couple of those clients too, that, that I could understand this and that it could be this mm-hmm. simple and that nobody needed to number vomit on me, right? Like I didn't need to have an algebra lesson every time I got a Facebook ad report. Like I just need to know, is this right. working? What are we doing? And being able to boil it down to the most, the essence of the metrics for them is, is really kind of that superpower as far as that side of thing goes, but it's all wrapped up in humanity and relationships. That's super, super awesome. I have one more question that I ask every guest the first time they're here, but before I do it, I want to know where can people find out more about you and contact you and become a guest. (laughs) And it's not on social media, <laughs> I assure you. So I am at ritaberry.co and that's B-A-R-R-Y, not like the fruit. And it's if they go to backslash a digital marketer, so ritaberry.co backslash digital marketer will have all the goodies there that they can find. And that's the best and literally only place other than some podcasts here and there. But otherwise, we're in the bunker and we're working. Sounds good. Cool. Well, for my last question, Rita, if you could go back in time, and tell who you were before you began this journey, that person, that Rita, if you could tell her anything at all, what would you say? That's a good question. Such a good question. We'd have a really long talk because I'm such a talker. (laughs) Be like, sit down. Let me tell you, it's all going to be okay. Um, (laughs) And honestly, I think that would probably be the main message, but the biggest thing would probably be like all the worry that I had in the beginning. So it would be that really like the success that you can't even imagine possible is already waiting for you. So instead of Mm. worrying so much about if it's going to happen, you know, just kind of get to the work of doing the work because it's there and you just have to get it Mm. done to get there because there was so much procrastination and fear and unworthiness that was mixed into my journey, especially in the beginning where it just, it puts up roadblocks that don't even need to be there. So it would be, mm. it's already there. You don't even have to worry about it. So just, just go after it and, and get her done. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed My pleasure. You thank you for having me. And to everyone out there listening, it means so, so much to have even an hour of your day each week. Thank you for being here and we'll see you same time, same place next week. Goodbye.
Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up. Because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.